0: And now, it's time for Dr. Bill,
2: your Radio MD. Good morning,
1: everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, and I'm coming at you on AM860TheAnswer.com. Oh, boy, we got a show today. I'm going to talk about reparations for slavery and also about the president's decision not to uh, proceed with the attack on the Iranian missile or anti-aircraft missile installations. I've got some feelings about that, as you can imagine. We are The Answer, AM 860, and I am Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. You can reach me at drbillradiomd.com, click listen live, and you got me. We're also an iHeart station. Now, this is talk radio, so you're welcome to join me, 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. And I'm available 9 to 10 every Sunday morning, Eastern Standard Time, worldwide. You can reach me on your computer if you have a headset or speakers hooked up to it. You can listen to me live every Sunday. You can also reach the old shows through the archives uh, at the radio station website and also on my website. I want to talk a little bit a minute and push my new antifungal nail gel which is really super. I mean, it's working great and everybody's in love with it. Who has tried it? It's ready and we're shipping it. It's a 80 gram around three ounce tube should last you almost a year. You apply it once or twice a day. It's 29.95. kills toenail and nail fungus. It's in a commitment though. You, you got to use it for a year. And uh, you got to use it on bare nails. So if you have gel or nail polish or anything else on your nails, get your little bottle of acetone or nail remover and get that off before you start using this. Now, some of the people I know who have tried this have also used it on their corns and calluses on their feet, and they say it works. Another guy used it on his eczema, and he said it helped that. So... Give us a call at the office at 727-384-6411. That's 727-384-6411 and order a tube or two today. You can also get it on eBay. I've I've set it up on the eBay account and I also have it on my website. But now the website, I have not completed the search engine optimization and some other aspects of it, so you may may want to go right to ebay or call the office at 727-384-6411 and i'm also going to get it on uh, amazon and i've got uh, a company hired to upgrade the website so we should be able to make it easier to find all that in the near future so give that a try i think it's a great product i've been using it myself for the past six months and My toenail fungus has improved tremendously. Now, you say, well, doc, you're talking toenails. How gross can that be? I know, isn't it? But when they get better and they look good and pretty, I'm going to put nail polish back on them and start wearing my sandals again. Oh, boy. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, baby. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about the uh, reparations for slavery. Uh, this, This has been around now since the Civil War, by the way. You know, Sherman, uh, the general who made the march to the sea and then turned north and went through the Carolinas uh, and basically devastated any cities or towns or peoples that got in his way, he issued a field order towards the end of the Civil War, uh, giving 40 acres to any freed slave, and also he uh, appropriated the mules from his his war campaign, and and, um, doled those out to freed slaves. And actually, the Congress and President Lincoln had uh, passed legislation to give 40 acres to each freed slave uh, or slave family, as it may be. I don't know how it worked exactly. However, uh, President Johnson, shortly after Lincoln's uh, unfortunate assassination, uh, reversed that order. And so land that had been given to the freed slaves was taken away. The the states had addressed this to some of the southern states and had agreed to compensate the uh, landholders whose f- land was taken away for the 40 acres for the slaves. So uh, there there was, at the time of the Civil War, an actual attempt to make reparations to the freed slaves. So this is not new, and this debate has been going on uh, for 150 years since the Civil War. Now, in 2000, California passed a slavery-era slavery, slavery era disclosure law, which required insurance companies doing business there to report on their role in slavery. And, and you may say, well, what good is this? Well, I think that uh, it's a prelude to lawsuits, However, the statute of limitation has probably run out, so it's going to be tough to uh, make a case, in my opinion, for uh, uh, s- reparations. And you may get it at the state court level, and it may even be upheld by some federal district courts. But I'm guessing that once it gets to the Supreme Court, that that it'll be thrown out. So it's it's a In my opinion right now, it's more of a political ploy than it is a reality or an ability to actually uh, affect any kind of change in terms of repayment to slaves or the descendants of slaves. Now, at the end of the Civil War, there were probably four million slaves in the South that were still in in bondage uh, that were freed. So you're talking about a relatively small amount of the population population. Uh, the population of black Americans has remained at about 13 percent since the Civil War and continues to be that today. And, you know, we think of uh, and a lot, a lot of people think of black Americans as as uh, out reproducing white Americans. That's not true. And even with uh, immigrants like from Mexico, they quickly fall into the American style of one or two kids and that's it. So it's that it's really the culture is is not that much different no matter which neighborhood you're in. Now the argument for reparations and you can agree or disagree. I'm just going to tell you some of my thoughts on this. Uh the the idea that slavery prevented African Americans from achieving the same economic status as white Americans and if black Americans had not been slaves, they would have evolved economically at a pace similar to white Americans, and the income disparity would be minimal, if any. Now, that that's one argument. And because southern agriculture prior to the Civil War uh, was the United States' main source of foreign income, because the north prior to the Civil War really didn't have the industrial uh, development yet to start exporting and making the kind of money that that it made after the Civil War. And in the 20th century, black Americans were integral in building the wealth of the nation and should have shared proportionately in that income benefit. So the idea that most of the of the hard currency that came into the country from outside of the country came at the Uh, on the backs of southern slaves who were doing most of the heavy lifting and farming in the south where where the the uh, income was coming from you said well how did that work well the southerners were growing cotton and tobacco and indigo and uh, uh, other products that were sold in the European and Asian markets primarily in the European markets by the way that's that's something that was a big bone of contention and helped add to the civil war because the north wanted to raise uh, import tariffs and the south said if you do that to protect your native industries in the north then the european countries are going to raise tariffs on our our exports to them which are cotton and tobacco and uh, wheat and other farm products okay so that's another argument another argument is slavery is a crime against humanity and it It should be uh, addressed, and there should be reparations made to the victims of this crime. Well, the problem with that is that it's difficult in any uh, criminal action, any criminal trial and uh, conviction to get reparations for the people that are harmed. Now, there are certainly a number of civil suits that have occurred, and like with O.J. Simpson, uh, the the families of Nicole and um, her buddy, they sued and they won. They won a big settlement from O.J. And I guess that could go on a case-by-case basis, but the other problem with that is that the statute of limitations has run out. Now, the taking of slaves by white Europeans from the African continent was representative uh, of a form of warfare and some politicians and black americans argue that war reparations for illegal wartime actions are owed however there was no declared war between the countries where the black americans were taken from and the united states or great britain so it's going to be tough in terms of international law to make that stick the slave trade was in, endorsed and insured by the governments of many nations including great britain and the united states with the help of insurance underwriters like Lloyds of London. And this makes all parties complicit in the slave trade and the damages caused to black Americans and black British and their subjects uh, should be considered. Again, you're getting into statute of limitations. And uh, remember, slavery was not illegal in the United States prior to the Civil War. It wasn't until the 13th Amendment was passed in 1865 and ratified it in eighteen sixty six that there was a formal uh, legal end to slavery and indentured servitude in the United States, so prior to that it was legal, and so the argument would be uh, how can you address as illegal something that was legal on the books so that's going to be a tough one to fight too uh the Next argument would be that reparations would narrow the economic gap between blacks and whites in the United States and uh, hasten the so-called cries of black Americans to equalize. It's essentially an income redistribution. And would it narrow the gap between black and white Americans socioeconomically? I don't know. Uh, You know, the estimates are about uh, $150,000 per descendant of a slave and so that's going to be a considerable number of people and you're talking trillions of dollars. Uh, What would that do to the economy in general? Would it hurt the economy and would that then further hurt uh, the lower income segments of our economy, many of whom are black Americans still? Because when there are job cuts and there are problems with the economy, the first thing that that happens is that the, uh, the the lower echelon are cut off, their jobs are, are ended, or there's no work, or they're let go because of the slowdown. And so I don't know if that would be the best way. Uh, perhaps just the natural evolution as we see going on now would be better. However, this is an argument that is being made. And the idea that white Americans, even though largely uninvolved in the slave trade, have benefited over the centuries from the forced labor of black African slaves prior to the Civil War, uh, is something that those calling for reparations uh, take into account. And they say, "Look, doesn't matter whether your family didn't even get on this continent until 1900, when the the big migration came out of uh, Europe and uh, uh, flooded Ellis Island in New York and." the diaspora of Italian and uh, German and Polish and all kinds of European immigrants flooded into the United States. And that was around the turn of the last century. And so that would have been 40 years after 30 years after the civil war ended. So a lot of whites will say, look, my family wasn't even in this country. I didn't have anything to do with slavery. I'm opposed to it. And the People who are arguing for reparations will say, well, it doesn't matter. You're still benefiting from forced labor. And the fact that you have come here to take advantage of the economic opportunities in this country makes you just as complicit, not morally perhaps, but certainly socioeconomically, and taking advantage of the work that was done uh, under forced labor by black Americans prior to the Civil War. And, uh, you know, that that's certainly an argument, you, whether you agree with it or not. Another argument is that humanitarian reasons call for reparations. You know, the, what, what happened was so egregious and uh, such a terrible crime against humanity that uh, reparations are in order just on a moral basis. And the... Next argument would be that the crime of slavery should have no statute of limitations, just like murder. Unfortunately, it wasn't a crime at that time. So there are a lot of problems with the arguments for, uh, 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 the arguments against. I'll go through. There's problems with these, too. Today, and these are the arguments against, in my mind. Most Americans are descendants of families who did not arrive on the North American continent until after the Civil War. Certainly that's true with my grandparents. They were both, both sets were from Europe and they came around at the turn of the last century, 1900. Almost all Americans alive today have no direct ties or indirect ties to enslavement of sub-Saharan Africans and their subsequent suffering at the hands of the white Southerners. And by the way, it was a small number of people that actually owned slaves. And there's no precedent in law for reparations, and there's no legal statute uh, that would support reparations that, that would be uh, uh, constitutionally enforceable if it went to the Supreme Court. Because, again, at that time, slavery under our system of government was legal. And another argument is, look, most of the Union soldiers were overwhelmingly white, and they were fighting to free black Americans from slavery, and they may have made the greatest sacrifice of all in freeing the slaves, and should their loss, should their death and their uh, maiming and their uh, disabilities be considered in the repayment formula. So if you're going to give money to black Americans as reparation, shouldn't some of that money be taken away and given to the descendants of uh, white Union soldiers who suffered and died to free black Americans? I mean, isn't that a form of of repayment right there? So there's that aspect of it, and there are even groups that are saying, yeah, we think that we should be uh, uh, recompensed for the loss of our great-great-great-grandfather who died in the Civil War because he would have produced X amount of dollars which had would have enhanced the family's wealth over the uh, decades and the centuries. And uh, um, other Americans will say, well look, haven't we made reparations in the form of subsidized education, welfare, subsidized housing, a graduated income tax, loan forgiveness programs for those who are underprivileged and disadvantaged? Uh, And this is not only educational, but uh, small business loans, there's preferential treatment, or at least there was. I don't know if there still is, but certainly when I applied for small business loans, there was preferential treatment for uh, black Americans and, and women starting jobs. And uh, let's remember, slavery was not a war crime since there was no declared war between nations involved in the slave trade. Well, what about white Europeans? They weren't the only people involved in 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 the slave trade, Arab slave traders were involved, local governments in Africa were involved, and uh, uh, tribal warfare was involved. So one tribe would raid another tribe in sub-Saharan Africa, take prisoners and sell them into slavery to make money. So who would pay what percent of the damages? It'd be difficult, if not impossible, to sort it all out. And let's remember, even Lloyds of London was involved. They were insuring the ships and the cargo, the human cargo that was being shipped, that was being ferried from sub-Saharan Africa, from the uh, from the west coast of sub-Saharan Africa to the Caribbean and to the United States for forced labor as this was primarily an agricultural economy in both the Caribbean and in the United States until the Civil War, after the Civil War. And at what point does the sin of slavery be forgiven, and and do countries and peoples move on? I mean, the Romans had slavery, but their their idea of slavery was uh, quite different than ours. Their slavery involved earning your way to freedom on a merit-based system, and they were pretty indiscriminate about who they enslaved. Anybody who opposed them, they didn't care if they were black or white, Slovaks, Teutons, Celts, uh, North Africans. Doesn't matter to them. Choose anybody. You got out of hand. You got enslaved, but you could work your way to freedom. And we didn't have that in the United States. There was no mechanism in the South for for the overwhelming majority of black Americans to work their way to freedom. There were free colonies and free areas in in the South, even in New Orleans, uh, and some of the cities in the South had freed black populations. So who should be compensated and how much, and uh, how do you figure all this out? It's not an easy problem to solve, and I I don't think that there's going to be – a um, ready solution to this. It certainly is a great talking point for the politicians who want to uh, garner the black vote in the democratic primaries and in the general election. Will it float? Will this vote float? I, I, I don't think so. Now, the majority of black Americans feel that there should be some kind of uh, compensation, some kind of uh, recompense and, uh, reparations for the wrongs of slavery, but the overwhelming majority of white Americans don't feel that way. You know, it's a two-to-one against uh, reparations, and we also have to consider the sacrifices that we're making now and have been making for the past 50 years since the uh, Civil Rights Act of the 1960s, which actually put some teeth into the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment was the amendment that freed the slaves. By the way, we're talking about reparations uh, for the descendants of slaves in the United States. And so if you have uh, something prescient to add to the conversation, I'm I'm at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. The uh, government does have a precedent for making reparations to American citizens under the Civil Liberties Act of 1988, signed into law by President Ronald Reagan, you might remember him, everybody thought he was this super conservative guy. The U.S. government apologized for Japanese American internment during World War II. During World War II, Japanese Americans were put into Basically uh, a pleasant concentration camp because at that time it would have been impossible, the technology wasn't there, to keep tabs on all of the uh, Japanese Americans living on the West Coast. And even if only 1% were sympathetic to Japan during the war, that 1% could present uh, a significant threat to the United States by spying, uh, by uh, forward deployment, by uh, terrorist acts. And so uh, the the United States government said, well, look, we're in the middle of a war. We've been attacked and we don't have the resources to follow every everybody. And so we're going to just put everybody in one little area and keep them all bottled up. Well, at any rate, this bill passed by the Congress and signed by Reagan gave twenty thousand to each survivor to compensate for the loss of property and liberty during the war. I think we have who we have on the phone this morning? Ian, is that hey, you? It's
3: Ian from Clearwater.
1: Ian, what are you doing, man? You must be bored on Sundays.
3: <laughs> no, I just wanna I wanna throw this out to you, just an opinion. You know how you can work for the government and they can double and triple dip on pensions, you know, if they move around and do different functions? You follow what I'm saying? Yep. They can collect more than one pension concurrently. I'm all for this reparations thing because I figure i got three of them coming to me. Because, first of all, I'm from New Jersey. My ancestors were all Quakers. They were here before there was the United States. And they were all nonviolent until the Civil War. And they felt so strongly about it, they went and enlisted in the Union Army, and some of them uh, died and wounded. So somebody owes me reparations there. And then I'm also primarily Irish, and, you know, the Irish were used as slaves. That's a little-known story that's been hushed up because they don't want to admit that white people were slaves. So I think the British Empire owes us Irish-descended people money and then ultimately let's take it back to its source this is where i want my third pension.
4: rome we need
3: to sue italy because they're the successor government of the roman empire and they went up into northern europe and the british isles and made slaves of my ancestors so i figure i got three pensions coming to me
1: well i hope you get them and i'm all for that so uh and remember the the british they they uh they were fairly even-handed in raping their their colonies. So I think that Great Britain should pay all of their former colonies, whether it's the United States or Australia or our step-sister, uh, India. Uh, I think we ought to get a little bit out of, of Great Britain. Of course, Great Britain, if we do that, they'll go quickly from a second and a half to a third world country, so maybe we should just leave them alone for now. Yeah, so I'm all
3: all for this reparations thing. I I feel like going to one of these Democrat meetings and bringing it up and putting my idea and showing up on my lowly white skin and see how they're going to react, okay?
1: (laughs) All righty, we'll do it. You know, the principal argument against reparation is that the cost would not be imposed upon the perpetrators of slavery, who were really a small group of people, uh, nor confined to those shown to be specific uh, indirect beneficiaries of slavery. So, it, you know, it's, it's it's an argument that's going to continue to be debated as we go through this uh, this election season. And I'm sure there are people listening to me who will... Uh, grab onto this, as Bill and I have seen over the years we've been doing the show, that a week or two later, what we say on this show, it's out in the national press, and and that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. Now, if we do have some kind of a reparation, what about Native American tribes? I mean, it was pretty egregious what we did to them, especially in the Southeast and in the West. Uh, They were Uh, uprooted, dislocated, their lands taken away from them. Even though they were primarily nomadic people, there were some settled tribes like the Navajo, and the Navajo actually ended up getting their land back, one of the few uh, Native American tribes that, by the way, I don't believe in any Native Americans. They're just immigrants who came ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 years before the Europeans. But nevertheless, we'll call them Native Americans. So should they be compensated? Now, there are Native Americans and I saw a guy on TV, a Cherokee banker, and he said, "That's ridiculous. Don't give us anything. You want to see us get ahead, uh, you know, give us the same opportunities to uh, advance and to get education as as white Americans have received, and as now Black Americans are are receiving and should receive. We should all be getting the same opportunities." And he said that if you look at the welfare and the, uh, the cultural institutionalization of reservations by the United States government. It's basically made a, a culture of poverty on these Indian reservations. And so that the best way is to just not do anything, get out of the way, afford the same opportunities to everybody in the country, and let people go for it themselves. And they'll quickly get off their butts and on their feet And get moving and do things. You know, hunger has a great way of driving us and motivating us to do things that we would not otherwise do. And I I think that there's a great deal of joy once we realize that being involved and working and being socially interactive with our our co-workers and our bosses and our businesses and our patients and and our radio show uh, host and our radio show listeners. All of this is so vital to human nature and to healthy human nature that we are at our best when we are busy. Well, probably I'm at my best when I'm asleep, but that's another story. And I think that the argument has to be made in the light of how would reparations further affect the uh, the inability of many black Americans, at least historically. I think this is all changing rapidly. I, I, I mean, I see more and more black Americans uh, coming into the mainstream and the educational levels are way higher than they were when I was a kid. And the socioeconomic status of black Americans has come way up since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, we have black employees. We have Hispanic employees. I've got that Korean woman that lives here in this house and also runs the office. Uh, So we have a multicultural office. And uh, the, the opportunities that are afforded and the abilities to move forward are uh, equal to all of the women working in the office. Anybody can get ahead and we encourage all of our employees to go to night school and get their nursing degree and if they get their uh, their RN and wanna move on, uh, we're, we're proud to say that we helped with that. And we have helped people with their education in the past depending upon what they gave back to the practice. So uh, I think that the landscape has changed considerably, and it might be a step back, whether it's justified or not, to make reparations, and that it may afford uh, an opportunity to be uh, de-incentivized to move on. And we are moving on. We're moving on as a society. We're much more homogeneous than we were when I was a kid were much more socioeconomically advanced. And that's all segments of society. I mean, even the illegal immigrants who I had contact with when I was building the house, they lived, I mean, they weren't living in any high uh, uh, mansion, they were living in mobile home parks, but They had a roof over their head, there was air conditioning, they had food, they had facilities to cook, there were washers and dryers available. I mean, there was a lot of of modern conveniences, maybe not in the setting that you and I would envision as being uh, okay, but let's face it, a lot of the world lives uh, in in abject poverty relative to this. And, you know, that's an argument that has been made by uh, uh, people in saying that black Americans are socioeconomically much better off than their sub-Saharan counterparts in the countries they came from, even though there was the suffering of slavery for a couple of hundred, three hundred years in this country prior to the Civil War. And so I think that's another uh, uh, reason to stop and think about what we have and you know ultimately an attitude of gratitude is is what's going to carry us uh, as far as we need to go in life and I'm going to take a, a moment here and go grab a cup of Joe I'm Dr. Bill I'll be right back
4: with SRN News I'm Michael Harrington in Washington The Trump administration has unveiled a $50 billion Palestinian investment and infrastructure proposal intended to be the economic engine to power its much-anticipated Middle East peace plan. The program revealed yesterday, ahead of a two-day conference in Bahrain this week, being held amid heavy skepticism about its viability and outright opposition from many of the Palestinians. The self-avowed white supremacist who plowed his car into counter-demonstrators in Virginia two years ago is asking a judge for mercy. James Alex Fields Jr. doesn't want to spend the rest of his life in prison, though prosecutors are trying to put him there. The 22-year-old is to be sentenced this week. And authorities in New Hampshire say they may begin identifying victims by name today after a pickup truck collided with a group of bikers Friday in a two-lane highway area. Seven people died.
1: Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674.
0: So you sit down and do your budget and you look at all your monthly costs and your bills and your income, and it seems like there's never quite enough you know what would really help finding $500 a month to help balance things out. That is the typical savings $500 a month for a family when you switch to Metashare for your healthcare. And when it comes to healthcare sharing ministries, Metashare is really the gold standard. It's been around for 25 years and has more than 400,000 members. It's been around so long and grown so much because it works. And whether you're single or married or have kids, this could make sitting down to do a monthly budget a lot more fun. $500 a month can more than cover a car payment or payback loans, whatever. So join MetaShare and go out to dinner to celebrate. Here's the number to call. They are incredibly kind and helpful to talk to. 844-41-BIBLE. That's 844 41 bible 844-41-BIBLE. Do you like winning prizes? How about getting sneak peek opportunities and offers before anyone else? Join the Answer VIP Club today at theansertampa.com and gain access to incredible contest opportunities, discounts from your favorite businesses, and more. If you're a passionate conservative and want to be rewarded for being a part of the Answer community, sign up for the Answer VIP Club today. Join the Answer VIP Club by clicking the Fan Club tab at tampa. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. We'll have mostly sunny skies today. It'll be humid with a high of 93. Clear skies tonight, the low 78. It'll be mostly sunny tomorrow with a high of 92. Partly cloudy tomorrow night, the low 79. Partly sunny skies expected for Tuesday. We'll have a high of 93. Wednesday, sun and towering clouds. With a shower or thunderstorm possible, the high 93. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Drew Shannon for AM860, The Answer. Follow the drinking
4: gourd, follow the drinking gourd, for the old man is waiting for to carry you to freedom. Follow the drinking gourd, when the sun goes back and the first quick And I'm call, back,
1: and that was Follow the Drinking gourd. Drinkin gourd. gourd. That was a slave song. And the drinking gourd actually referred to the Big Dipper. And as you recall from school, at the a uh, tip of the Big Dipper, the, the, the scoop to drink out of, so to speak, is the North Star. And so this told uh, the escaped slaves that they had to follow the North Star since they traveled primarily at night and uh, the Underground Railroad uh, if they could get to a point where they would p- be picked up by that. We had part of the Underground Railroad in our neighborhood. There was an old house, uh, the pre-Civil War house, right down the street. And uh, across the the street, four lane Lexington road was the Ursuline university college. The, The sisters, the Ursuline nuns had that. And there was a tunnel that went from that old house, which I actually painted a wall in and, uh, went over to the, uh, the Ursuline Academy. So that was part of the underground railroad, uh, yeah I I wanted to say this when somebody called about the toenail fungus so let me again give you the the phone number of the office so you can order it and we'll get the 800 number up and going in a few weeks 727 384 6411 that's 727 384 6411 it's 29.95 we'll mail it to you for free and uh, that's, uh should be about a year's supply in one tube. And you got to make that commitment. Get those nails clean of polish and gel and everything else. Put it on. I'm using it twice a day. It's really effective. Once a day will probably work. Just take a little bit longer. Uh, you don't need much. Just a little dab will do you. Let it dry as much as you can, then put your socks on, get about your business. If you do it after you bathe or go swimming, it's more effective because the nails are softened up by water. We've got uh, Richard in Clearwater on the phone. Come on, Richard, what you got for me, bud?
2: Hey, Dr. Bill, how are you? Good, man. Good topic, and I always enjoy listening to you every Sunday when I can. Thank you. Uh, I think maybe you may have touched on this already, but what about if slavery had never happened and their descendants had remained in their host countries? What about the Africans who participated with the white Europeans to uh, gather up these people and put them on the slave ships? What's their responsibility? And if there is reprimations to be made, how do you quantify how worse off they would be or how better off they would be if there hadn't been slavery? How do you do all that?
1: This is just a big
2: can of worms.
1: Yeah, that, that's some of the problem because uh, if you take man hours as uh, a baseline and you just apply the minimum wage to that and then you scale it up for inflation, uh, today's prices, you're you're talking about trillions and trillions of dollars. Where's that going to come from? You know, if you take that out of our economy and put it into direct reparations, uh, you're you're talking about a recession. And who's as I said earlier, who's going to suffer well, the bottom tier is going to suffer the most in a recession that's That's pretty clear that's that's historically true, uh, you know, I think, and I think I'm that sorry. also the the African countries that the governments and the tribal leaders and the Arab slave traders who were involved they do have responsibility here. I agree with you and it wasn't
2: slavery predominantly in the south, so what about the industrial revolution that took place in the North? If they're going to say that me and my ancestors benefited from all this free labor, well, that labor did not come in the form of uh, helping the industrial revolution. So I don't know if uh, you know the slaves in the South. How much? Certainly, they did provide benefit, but how do you again? How do you quantify that?
1: Well, I think there's a, a reasonable argument uh, for. Uh, all Americans benefiting from the from the work of the slave population in the United States prior to the Civil War, and the uh, the income, the foreign income that came into the country, which represented the the uh, the basis of, of our dollar system at that time, came from the exports from the South because we were exporting farming goods, we were exporting. Wheat and cotton and tobacco to the European markets and selling that for hard cash that came back into the country. So uh, everybody did benefit. And even prior to the Civil War, uh, there were Northerners who were making money off of this. And uh, I think that everybody benefited directly or indirectly from the labor of uh, black Americans under slavery. However, how do you quantify that is the real question. When do you forgive and forget and move on? Uh, and uh, are, are we going to really improve anybody's life by throwing more money at, at it? It, it? It certainly hasn't seemed to work uh, so far, at least not from my perspective. Now, the black American may disagree and say, look, if it wasn't for subsidies, uh, I would not have made it through high school and uh, junior college and gotten an associate degree as a a nurse uh, assistant in in a doctor's office and gotten a job with you, Dr. Bill. And uh, there there may be an argument there for that. So I I don't know. I I think that there are a lot of economists who are going to say this is not feasible, that it will not work, and it will not really make anything better. So I, I think I agree with you I I, I think there are are points to discuss, but I also agree with you that it may not uh, be beneficial in the long run. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. May I
2: make a comment on a different topic?
1: For $1.50. Oh,
2: you got a PayPal account?
1: (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Bill, get his his credit card, would you? (laughs)
2: Hey, I, I, I... I called you last year. You had a show where uh, the bumper music you played an Alice Cooper song, and I called you and I talked to you a little bit about Alice Cooper, and I wanted to let you know that he is coming back to Ruth Eckert Hall on November 7th, but they've already started selling tickets, and his show is already sold out. So just wanted to give you a heads up. If you're interested, uh, tickets are available, but you got to go quick.
1: All right. Well, everybody heard that, so if you're an Alice Cooper fan, there you go. I saw that, uh, I saw Alice Cooper a couple times, and apparently he was, uh, uh, he's just a beer-drinking guy from, I think they're from Detroit, aren't they, or from somewhere up in Michigan? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he said he never did drugs, and he'd be all dressed up in all these weird outfits looking like a a psychedelic girlfriend, and his father would say, where are you going? What are you doing? And he'd say, Oh, I got a gig Dad. I'm making money <laughs> so, right right <laughs> he, must he puts a on
2: character he puts on quite a show, and like I said every year his his show sold out, so it's it's something to see you see uh, older people bringing their young kids it, it's it's uh you know it's not like it was back in the seventies for him yep, yeah so, anyway, uh good to hear you talk uh dr bill and uh
1: thanks, Richard. Prepare. Hang in bud. Well, I want to shift over again and talk a little bit about Iran and the state-sponsored terrorism and the president's decision not to proceed with the retaliatory attacks after our drone was shot down. Now, by the way, this was not a small little itty-bitty drone. This was the size of a a wingspan of a 747 jet, uh, a jetliner, a small jetliner like we take from here to New York or here to Atlanta. Uh, So this was a big, sophisticated piece of equipment. Geraldo Rivera said, well, it was over Iranian airspace, and so we violated their airspace. I don't know about that. I thought it was over the Straits of Hormuz, but um, again, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, Nevertheless, this was a big uh, uh, piece of equipment uh, worth tens of millions of dollars. A lot of time and effort went into it. The president said, well, it was unmanned. And so no Americans were hurt and uh, decided at the last minute not to uh, uh, go ahead with the strikes against these uh, missile site installations in the Persian Gulf area because it would have killed approximately 150 people, people who were manning the sites, living around the sites. And, uh, you know, my argument would have countered that. And I realize that the president is basically a pacifist. My sisters wouldn't agree because they don't really understand what the hell's going on anyway. I love him, though. But uh, he he just does not want to hurt anybody. And that's a wonderful trait. I mean, that shows that he truly is a Christian uh, and a follower of Jesus and does not believe in harming other people. And I don't think shooting down... uh, or are blowing up aircraft on the ground with no pilots in them. To me, that's not violence against a human being. That's like Jesus turning the table over in the temple when he was upset. People say, well, that's violence. No, it's not. Come on. Violence is when you pick up a rock or a stick and hit somebody on the head with it. I mean, uh, you know, women throw dishes all the time. Is that violence? I don't think so. If they throw it at you, then that's violence. Uh, the wife's gotten pretty good, by the way, with teacups, and I'm I'm pretty good at ducking, too. So we've got a little thing going here, kind of working on it. So at any rate, the Iranians have sponsored a number of, of uh, groups, Hamas, Hezbollah. Uh, they've been in a number of countries, Albania, Bahrain, India. Did you know that? In India, they sponsor terrorism. Israel, of course. Uh, Shiite militia in Iraq. Again, the Sunnis and the Shias are two different uh, branches of Islam, and the uh, Persians and the Arabs are two different uh, ethnic groups, and they've been at each other's throat for thousands of years. They've sponsored terrorism in Kenya, Argentina, Thailand, France, Denmark, and the United States. And they have uh, ties to the 1998 embassy bombings, the USS Cole bombing, September 11th, Riyadh compound bombings, and if you remember in 1983, uh, 230-plus American Marines were killed in Beirut when a Hezbollah uh, suicide terrorist, or I think there were two of them actually, drove trucks into the compound and and killed 230 of our people there, and that's when uh, President Reagan said, we're getting out of the Middle East. So I disagree with the president that there have not been uh, that there were no deaths involved in, in in taking down this drone. I think that it has to be uh, uh, a relativistic thing, and you have to draw strings from the production and the deployment of something like this drone uh, to all of the people who were killed uh, fighting against Iranian terrorism. And remember that in Iraq, the, uh, the militia, the Shiite militia, were backed primarily by the Iranians, armed by the Iranians, given bombs by the Iranians, and the estimate uh, is that several thousand Americans have died because of the Shia militia that have been attacking Uh, not only the Sunnis, but also Americans in Iraq. So I think that we have to stop and think about the cumulative deaths of Americans at the hands of the Iranians, whether it's direct or indirect. And again, we have to remember uh, the U.S. embassy bombing in Beirut that killed 58 Americans. The barracks bombing, I'm sorry, it was 241, not 230 Americans, and that was in 1983. And the 1983 Kuwait bombings in collaboration with the Iraqi Dawah Party. The annex, uh, embassy annex bombing in 1984, hijacking of TWA Flight 847. I think that was in 1985, and they murdered one of the U.S. Navy sailors who was on the plane. The Lebanon hostage crisis from 1982 to 92, our people were held and essentially uh, tortured by Shiite militia that were backed by the Iranians. So there's a a lot of, of Iranian blood and hands on our people, and their, their mark is all over it, and I think that the president's going to have, have to, at some point, consider that the Iranians are not going to stop doing this, that they're going to continue until we lay down some muscle on them, that the, uh, the, the Persians have traditionally been a people who had to be defeated before they would listen, And the Persians have been attacking the West since the the dawn of written history. Uh, The Greeks fought them in what is now Turkey. The Greeks fought them at Thermopylae in Greece. Uh, Alexander took the fight to them and fought them in the Middle East and then marched through Persia and conquered it. So we've had a long history of conflicts with the Persians. And they have been killing Americans and others around the world Uh, In recent history, since the takeover of the government by the Ayatollahs in the late 1970s, they have been exporting their brand of terrorism, and they have their uh, proxy groups like Hezbollah and Hamas that are doing their bidding. And, you know, you you may not know this, but the, the Iranians, they don't believe in suicide bombing not for themselves, they'll get the Arabs to do it. They'll get the uh, Shia Arabs uh, to be the suicide bombers, but you're not gonna see an Iranian suicide bomber. They're, they, they consider themselves a, a, a step above the Arabs and too sophisticated uh, and too smart for that. And they are smart people, there's no doubt about it. I've met tons of Iranians and Iranian Americans, doctors and lawyers and all kinds of, uh, of people who who are professional people, um, salesmen and bankers, and uh, you know they're they're obviously very uh, intellectually capable, uh, but there is this fundamentalistic thread that runs through their society that says that they should be in charge of the whole world, whether it's as Islamic uh, state or whether it's as a state under uh, the emperors 2,000 years ago like Darius. Now they've fired hundreds of rockets into northern Israel on a daily basis. They've captured Israeli soldiers and killed them. They've captured U.S. intelligence officers. Uh, The Iranians have assassinated the Lebanese prime minister Harari. This was carried out by Hezbollah at the direction of the Iranians. They've participated in civil wars in in Lebanon and Syria and fomented civil wars there. So they have blood all over their hands. And Mr. President, you need to stop and think about this. And I know you don't want to hurt anybody, and we love you for that. You're a great guy, but uh, there are bigger issues here. So stop and think about this. Well, close to the end of the show, again, the phone number to buy the toenail gel is 727 727- 384 6411, 727 384 6411. We'll be back on the phones tomorrow. Nobody's in the office today. And uh, <clears throat> it works. I'm using it myself. So you guys jump on that. It's a great deal. Um, everybody's telling me I'm not charging enough, but I want the whole world to have this. I'm Dr. Bill, your radio MD.